0: Hello, my name is Thomas, welcome to British Culture, Albion Never Dies. This episode is How British is Star Wars? I've done over a hundred episodes on British culture asking what is Britishness, and I thought maybe it's now time to start moving into the territory of what isn't. Where are the limits? Not everything in the universe that I like is British. I don't want this to end up as a bit like uh, the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding where there's the Greek-American father who argues that everything in the universe was created by the ancient Greeks, and it becomes a bit of a kid's game. His kids start to ask him, "Okay, the car garage, how did the ancient Greeks invent that? And of course, he'd always have an answer, but that was part of the joke. So, is there something in the universe that I really, really like and absolutely isn't British? Well, this is the question. How British is Star Wars? I thought I'd need some kind of rubric, some way to fairly judge the film in its Britishness. And funnily enough, there is a rubric available from the BFI, the British Film Industry, the Official Organisation, which of course, passing this test, can lead to tax credits. Very, very important. Now, of course, this is a relatively recent rubric that they use, and I'm gonna retrospectively apply it to the original 1977 film. Of course, it's become too big, too unwieldy to try and apply it to the entire Star Wars universe. So I thought let's narrow it down to the very first one the first movie released in 1977 with a very limited release has to be said the studio massively underestimated how popular it would be people often talk about how people queued around the block to see it but that is actually partly because there were only about 200 prints for the whole of north america um so it was the later release 1978 were hit really big but i've seen this referred to as the all american movie which I find really interesting. I mean, I have to say, as a child, I never particularly thought of it as an American movie or a British movie or anything else. I mean, obviously, you have the three main stars. They are American, Luke Skywalker, uh, Han Solo. Of course, Princess Leia, she puts on a a British-ish accent for her public speaking voice and it's really interesting to compare her accent uh, when she's say speaking to darth vader in the hall where she puts on her senatorial voice um, and then her kind of private voice when she's speaking to luke that does change but of course you've got alec guinness very british accent c-3po grand moff tarkin a whole range of different accents throughout it it's not mono-accented which star trek can tend to i say with my limited viewing of star trek obviously you've got picard and scotty in two different series and of course doctor who is set in a completely british universe it's very rare to have someone who isn't either english or welsh um as it is filmed by bbc wales i believe again whovians correct me whovian of course is the term for a doctor who fan trekkie is the term for a star trek fan so what's the term for a star wars fan a human being anyway does feel Star Wars like an Arthurian legend in outer space. That would, of course, suggest that it is more British than American. But let's, let's start off with my very honest view. I think of Star Wars as a George Lucas creation. I don't see this as a very national creation. But since one gets talked about, people do talk about Star Wars as the classic American movie. So why not take the other view? And as I say, this is all about britishness this whole podcast and if you're asking what is britishness it's worth asking sometimes what isn't it you must have a negative definition at some point so the bfi rubric section a there are four four sections section a looks at cultural content i'll just go through it briefly now and then i'll go through it in detail a1 a film set in the uk or the european economic area A2, lead characters, British or EA citizens or residents. A3, film based on British or EA subject matter or underlying material. And A4, underlying dialogue recorded mainly in English or UK Indigenous language or EA language. Okay, so fairly strict rubric there for section A. Of course, there'll be a B, C and D coming up later. Let's look at. A1, a film set in the UK or in the European Economic Area. These points are not evenly distributed, this is worth a whole four points out of 32. This is a big hitter, and no, Star Wars is set in a fictitious location. In a galaxy far, far away, and fictitious locations are not included as British. Of course, it's not necessary to have this to pass. Quantum of Solace, for example, did pass the overall test, although it's largely set overseas. 2009's The Dark Knight, uh, set in Gotham, a fictitious US city, and supposedly set in the US, actually passes the BFI test. The Narnia movies, obviously, is set in, well, Narnia, so that passed the test even. And this is interesting a movie called American Hero, which is set in America, about an American hero, but was produced in the UK. So it passed on later later categories, and of course House of Gucci, about the Italian fashion house, and with some major American stars in it, actually passed the overall BFI test. So section A1 is not necessary to pass in order to get your movie in as a British movie, Uh, but the setting, what, in the original film, Tatooine, the Death Star, various spaceships, That doesn't pass. A1. A2. Lead characters, British or EEA citizens. Okay, that's a no. That's a clear no. A citizen of Tatooine is not a citizen of the UK. Somebody from Corellia, somebody from Alderaan and so on. No, absolutely not. Oh, dear. First first two are clear. Fails. But then we get into section A3. A film based on British or EEA subject matter or underlying material. Worth a total of four points. So this begs the question, is Wars culturally set in Britain? Well, <laughs> here I have to start arguing my case, and I should say I have no particular connection to the, the BFI. I am simply using their rubric uh, to guide my own thought process. So is Wars culturally British? Well, you have a princess being rescued from a dark lord by a farm boy who dreams of being some kind of knight with the help of an old wizard, a scoundrel and a pair of servants, one who talks too much and one who is mute, communicating in a series of whistles. All of these things could very much be an Arthurian legend or some other old British legend here. I think it's worth looking at J.R. Tolkien's writing. Uh, Tolkien, in his book, well, it's now been published in a collection, Tales from the Perilous Realm. He has his essay, which I think is fantastic, called On Fairy Stories. Star Wars seems very much to fit the definition of a fairy story, more than, say, science fiction. I mentioned Star Trek earlier. I find relatively few people who love Star Trek like star wars as a second equally people who love star wars kind of as a primary love very rarely have star trek it tends to go into tolkien's work so i find tolkien's work on fairy tales quite interesting and this is his academic work he's not talking necessarily about lord of the rings he's talking about uh, fairy the location he wrote the definition of a fairy story what it is or what it should be does not depend on a definition or historical account of elf or fairy but upon the nature of Fairy, the perilous realm itself, and the air that blows in that country, I will not attempt to define that, nor to describe it directly, it cannot be done. Fairy cannot be caught in a net of words, for it is one of its qualities to be indescribable, though not imperceptible. It has many ingredients, but analysis will not necessarily discover the secret of the whole. I would argue very definitely that Star Wars is set in a fairy realm rather than a uh, science fiction realm, and especially going off Tolkien's kind of essay in full. there is a book called "The Magic of Myth," which was written to accompany the Smithsonian exhibition in the late '90s that argued that Star Wars was based. On Arthurian legends it did of course touch on the Japanese influence and a huge amount gets written about that especially because Lucas looked up to the Japanese filmmaker Kira Kurosawa I would argue that really gets into the mythology of it which is a relatively small part of the original film and the cinematography but not the overall structure that of course came from Joseph Campbell's the hero with a thousand faces among other things among other writings from joseph campbell and perhaps vladimir prop for the characters that of course suggests that lucas was inspired by some russian fairy tale characters if he was reading prop nonetheless i would say that Star is very much set in something that we would recognize with knights dark lords princesses within our own cultural context yes it has a dash from japan and yes it has a dash from lucas's own admiration for wild west stories but of course the Wild West in actual history only lasted maybe a generation or two, and a lot of the stories we associate have been drawn from Arthurian legends and indeed Akira Kurosawa. So, I would say, out of it all, I am going to perhaps be generous and give myself a good three out of four points here, and say Star Wars culturally is kind of set in a British location or one that we could all understand through looking at British fairy tales. Of course I'm maybe being a bit generous there but why not why not we'll come back to that section a4 the last of the cultural content talks about original dialogue recorded mainly in english or in uk indigenous language for example gaelic or welsh one ea language this is up to six points this is pretty important do you hear a british voice Well, you have obi-wan kenobi with a very strong british accent Tarkin, with a very clear British accent, C-3PO, which is interesting, because originally C-3PO was going to have a New York accent, and it was Anthony Daniels on set, providing the voice and providing the body. You can read more about this in The Making of Star Wars by J.W. Rinsler, and this talks about how the location ended up being based in the UK, which... Uh, here's the the right page because Lucas had elected to film in England it was only natural that local actors to be cast in many of the supporting roles here Anthony Daniels speaks my agent rang up and she said there was this man called George Lucas making a space film do you want to go and see him she said they're very interested because I'm good at mine she talked a lot about the film and she said the only trouble was The part was a robot, so I said, oh, come on, I'm a serious actor. We've got to get on with my career, don't we? But I went to Fox and met George, and I must say that I did immediately like him. We greeted each other, then there was silence. Fortunately for both of us, the production paintings were on the wall facing George. So I turned to the pictures and asked him about them, and he opened up and became quite dynamic. His excitement spilled over, and it was about an hour later when my meeting ended. A couple of days later, I picked up a script and read it for the first time. And it took me a long time to read, so I thought I'd better read it again. After reading it three times, I wrote out the story in sections. When I got to understand vaguely what it was about, I became very excited about the character C-3PO. I realised he was not an ordinary robot and began to forget all of my original ideas about playing a robot. His enthusiasm for playing the part obviously spilled over. He did a phenomenal job, but still, the original idea of him having a New York accent was very much in Lucas's mind. So he did bring in a voice actor once the filming had completed to look at the film to work out what kind of voice it was one of the uh, you know a guy who provided voices for animations and eventually tried out a bunch of different voices but said look the guy on the set you should probably just get him to do the voice <laughs> so we end up with a very british sounding c-3po interesting to consider how the feel of the film would be quite different if it was a guy with uh, a new york accent There is often, and I feel this is kind of the copy-paste element of the media, there's often an idea that maybe the bad guy should speak with a British accent and the Good guy should speak with an American accent. It didn't really carry it across mainly because of the limited number of American actors who came over. That was partly due to British unions and partly due to budget constraints. Uh, and so you find this Ivan Kirchner, who came in to direct uh, The Empire Strikes Back, also tried to include this to a point, And they were thinking of the old kind of sword and sandal epics where you might get the Romans to speak in a British accent and then, say, the rebellious slaves like Spartacus speaking with an American accent, even in Stanley Kubrick's Spartacus this doesn't quite work all the time and in the stars expanded universe it's been explained away well in the central civilized parts of the universe say where kenobi's from uh, then they speak with this clear accent and then in the outer rim they speak with what we consider an american accent so that's become the in-universe explanation uh, but it's an interesting thing there is a diversity of accents which i think is pretty important considering this is supposed to be a whole galaxy so how much is English English I would say about half but I'm not going to go through the movie bit by bit and time it and work out how many lines are in British English and American English I'm gonna say it's pretty well half so that's three points out of six and I will get back to these points if you're not exactly uh, keeping tabs on this so that was section a which is a significant part of the rubric this next part section b talks about cultural contribution so their definition is the film demonstrates british creativity british heritage and or diversity it's up to four points so the british council wrote this britain punches above its weight when it comes to creativity Despite containing less than 1% of the world's population, it has one of the largest creative industry sectors. Throughout the world, our films, adverts and TV shows captive audiences, our architecture surprises and delights, and our fashion continues to challenge and innovate. I'd say that's very, very true as I've travelled all around the world, whether I'm in Saudi Arabia, Oman, mainland China, Hong Kong, Turkey... Everybody's heard of us, we're less than 1% of the population, not only have they heard of us, uh, but they often have very clear ideas about Scotland, England, London, and so on. Sometimes people are even apologetic about not knowing really the difference between England and Scotland, which seems extraordinary to me because we are less than 1%. Everywhere I go everyone's heard of us and has an idea, some idea of Britishness. So where would that contribution be in Star Wars? Well, it references the, the fashions. Of course, John Mollo was the costume designer. He was an expert on well, British military uniforms, military uniforms generally. And one of the extraordinary things about Star Wars, the Imperials look military, they look smart, but it's very difficult to work out which country it's based on. Again, Mollo was enough of an expert to include elements from around europe but not make it too obvious and you can see how brilliant it is by comparing it to other sci-fi of a similar era the sets say moving on say the architectural surprises that the british council talked about the sets are ingenious a lot of the crew members were very very old hands at doctor who and so if you read American accounts of stars that say what a tiny budget it had and what a huge amount of money it made from the British crew's point of view, this was a huge budget. They've been working on Doctor Who TV shows for a long, long time in which you might have just one or two corridors and try and make it look like a whole spaceship. Suddenly you have a much larger budget by comparison to that. And they did make ingenious sets with very, very small changes able to make it look like endless, endless, endless Death Star corridors with a very limited uh, amount of resources. So then you have costumers, you have the robots, which of course are, are robots, they are mechanical devices, they are on-set things. You might also have an element of class in styles and class structure. I feel the British actors naturally bring that in. So there's something about Grand Moff Tarkin, played, of course, by Peter Cushing, um, which has an element of the class structure in the UK, especially when he's talking to, well, his brother officers. There's something about it which is quite different from what I'd normally see in American movies. I actually think that combination of the hero actors and the supporting cast Actually, adds a great deal so whether it's the the sets the costumes I think that is reflected I do think there's a considerable cultural contribution so I'm gonna go with three out of four generous perhaps but I'll say three out of four so section C there's four sections cultural hubs this is broken down into C1 a B and C uh, C1 a at least 50% of the principal photography or special effects takes place in the UK b is at least 50 percent of the visual special effects takes place in the uk c an extra two points can be awarded if at least 80 percent of the principal photography or visual special effects or special effects takes place in the uk and c2 is about the music and audio recording so so c1 at least 50 percent of the principal photography or special effects takes place in the uk absolutely yes as i say many crew members thought it was glorified doctor who uh, but the majority of the film is really set on spaceship corridors Darth, uh, death star corridors and so on it is it is a big production but it's largely set bound you do have bits set in the desert and so on but a lot of it very quickly moves to sets of course the problem we get into very quickly at least 50 percent of the visual special effects takes place in the uk well now we're talking about digital kind of post production, but at the time special effects were considered very much the things that are happening on the set. So, for example, the set where you've got the uh, the Millennium Falcon cockpit, which is basically in a cradle being hit by multiple crew members' brooms, as <laughs> you know, to shake the whole thing about. Uh, so, it's not just them rocking about in their own chairs, you see the shadows moving and so on, because the whole set is moving around equally. Order. The doors opening and shutting, you get all the the squibs, the explosives, uh, the guns firing. All of that is considered in the 70s definition as special effects. And, of course, the robots which caused endless trouble for the crew members and of course all the people dressed up as robots who can't see out and can very easily topple over and can't really put their hands in front of them when they fall down so uh, a lot of this i'm going to say this is one of the stronger areas in section c the cultural hub very much the onset contribution as for 80 percent of principal photography nah you've got filming in tunisia you've got some filming in uh, death valley so Move on to section c part two music recording audio post-production and so on john williams of course is an american composer but he's ordinarily resident in the UK, which is OK. It passes the BFI, a kind of additional note section proves this. Uh, of course, it does amuse me. John Barry is a Brit in the USA, has composed the other soundtrack to My Life. Um, but of course, that does count because he's a British citizen. So an American citizen in the UK counts as a pass in this section. And a British citizen resident in the US apparently passes. And of course, the music was recorded in the UK. Section D, uh, the briefest ones go through, is all about cultural practitioners. You get one point for each of the following: director, scriptwriter, producer, composer, lead actors, majority of cast, key staff, and majority of crew. Well, obviously the director and scriptwriter is out because that's George Lucas. He's American from Modesto, California. Producer is out. They're all American. Composer, one point. (laughs) An American resident in the UK counts, which amuses me. Lead actors are curious because a lot of the characters named on the film poster, uh, they are British. But when we're looking at lead actors three is a maximum for lead it's very clearly the three americans who came over the majority of the cast however are british uh, even if they're putting on american voices an element of band of brothers there which i always thought was sort of a bit funny when i'm watching band of brothers here you have a bunch of english people standing around in the english field all talking in american accents and it seems very american um anyway t7 <laughs> on the bfi indexes key staff lead cinematographer lead production designer lead costume designer you do have editor and sound design of course they were american back to lead visual effects supervisor lead hair very important for princess Lair, and makeup supervisor so here we have a whole series of people who are getting points after points uh, on this index majority of crew very definitely a british crew course we can have a look at this just at the Oscars Um, so the original Star Wars film of course got best art direction set decoration well set decoration would be the British crew best costume design again John Mollo so that would be very definitely a yes for the UK best sound that's Ben Bert, uh, best film editing. Again, that's uh, Marcio Lucas, best effects, visual effects. Again, if it's on set, it's it's how a lot. If it's the post special effects, that's the amazing industrial lighting magic uh, that was created for this movie, and has done so many movies since. Of course, best music that is recorded in the UK and therefore passes on theirs. So there are thirty-five points, thirty-five points available, and to pass. You need 18. Quick sip from my cup of tea as I work out. Is Star Wars British? Is it set in the UK? No. Are the lead characters British? No. But is the film based on British or EA subject matter? I would say without European fairy tales, especially British fairy tales. Styles simply wouldn't exist. Even though Joseph Campbell tried to look at the whole world, even though the the Japanese influence is very much spoken about, I would say overwhelmingly we're talking about British fairy tales and Japanese fairy tales understood through a very British context. So I'm going to give that the three out of four. Original dialogue recorded in a UK or UK Indigenous language, I'm going to say that's half. So that's three out of six possible points. So uh, so six points overall from section A cultural contribution demonstrates british creativity british heritage diversity again i think that's absolutely true again from the from the costumes from the set design even just from the way the crew made so much from what again a lot of hollywood reporters talk about a tiny tiny budget but to them it felt like a lot more they thought if this is what we can do for doctor who just think what we can do with this money so uh, i do say this is worth three out of the four available points so we've got the three from A3, we've got the three from A4, we've got the three from section B, now section C. We've got two points, CF yeah, because more than 50% of principal photography was in the UK. 50% of the visual special effects, okay. Again, okay, that 50% I'm going to say is the on-set stuff. Music recording, yep. Composer, yep. Majority of cast, yep. Key staff, yep. And majority of crew, so how much does that give us? Total. 18 the bare minimum even there i'm arguing a bit stars definitely has a significant british contribution is it a wholly british film i doubt it <laughs> very very much as i say i think a lot of it is actually the interplay between a lot of the american backers and the american creators and the british crew and the british designers and creators and so on i actually think the international element is hugely important so i'll say britain has a significant contribution okay meets the bfi bare minimum if i argue it as best as i can and of course some of the later films moved on to film in australia and you get great contributions from australians new zealanders it's really interesting as an international hub but i'm going to say this really grows out of arthurian legends a very british understanding of fairy tales and a good bit of british filmmaking if not total so it's borderline is star wars british breaking news it's borderline (laughs) well i hope you enjoyed this special episode on star wars thank you very very much for listening and of course may the force be with you